great to be with you this morning. I do wanna say this, that we have a brother who has been at Northwest for a long, long time um, who is stepping into the pulpit this morning at Cherokee Hills Baptist Church. Um, Chris Gulley, as many of you know, is gone in view of a call, and I feel like we need to open up this time to begin to pray for him and that church and our church as well as we begin our ser- sermon this morning. Chris is beginning his sermon at Cherokee Hills. Let's go ahead and pray for him and Christy and their family this morning. Father, we, we thank you for Chris and uh, Father, we are a people of prayer here at Northwest and we are uh, pleading with you, Father, those online and those in person are pleading, Father, with you this morning that you would give him boldness as he speaks the word of truth. Lord, we pray that uh, your word would go forth from his mouth. We pray for that church as they receive the word, Father, that they would have ears to listen and a heart to hear the gospel message that he clearly portrays and outlines this morning through the story of Lazarus. Lord, we thank you for the work of him and Christy and their, their family here at Northwest for many, many years. And, and Father, we ask that this would be a joyous day for them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, it is Christmas, as you can see around us in the background in different areas of the church. It is Christmas season, and we are going to take a pause in our series in Acts, The Power of God, to celebrate the joy of the Christmas season. Amen? It is 2020, and we all need a little joy, so we've entitled this series, Joy to the World. All right? <laughs> the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. I'm sure that many of you may feel as if you feel like the Grinch this Christmas of all that you had to walk through in 2020, but we remember the joy that fills our hearts because the kingdom of light has overcome the kingdom of darkness, and the king is coming, amen? Colossians 1.13 says this, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. When we open up this psalm this morning, we're gonna see a, a psalm of victory a psalm of the royal king who enters into a city. They call this a royal psalm. Think think of this psalm in Psalm chapter 98 of a championship parade, rejoicing and singing and shouting and great joy because the triumphant king is here. And this morning... We see God's royal kingship on display. A biblical commentator wrote about this psalm. Before I read it, I want you to hear what he says. He says, one cannot read this psalm without being a happier man, without lofty views of God, without feeling that he is worthy of universal praise, without recognizing that he is in a world where the mind should be joyful, that he is under the dominion of God, whose reign should fill the mind with 
gladness, amen? We have a king who is worthy of worship. We have a king who is worthy of praise. Therefore, our hearts are filled with joy and thanksgiving for who he is. Let's look at Psalm 98 together. If you'll stand with me in reading of this psalm together, we stand in honor of reading of God's word here at Northwest. If you'll stand and read God's word together, it's on the back in the back behind us, or you can read in Psalm chapter 98, it says this. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. All the earth break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let and the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord. For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Amen. We needed a little psalm this morning. We needed a little energy to get us moving in this Christmas season. You can be seated. We're going to pray. Father, we thank you for this psalm. Father, we thank you for the joy of the Lord. We thank you that you have come. And we thank you that the mountains and the rivers and the seas roar and clap for joy at the coming of the king. Lord, we thank you that we can stand here as your creation and worship you because of your goodness and your grace in the midst of a pandemic in the midst of trial and suffering, we can find joy and rest in the presence of the Lord because we know that he sits on the throne and he is victorious. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. A boy by the name of Isaac, he lived in the late 1600s. He was 16 years old and he was coming home from church one Sunday. And guess what? He was complaining. Not, not any of us, we never do that. I know that you don't do that. But he was complaining about the music as a 16-year-old that Sunday, specifically the hymns on the way home from church to his father. And a wise father, as he was to young Isaac, told him, son, if you don't like the hymns, you should write something better. And Isaac took him up on the challenge that afternoon. Isaac wrote his first hymn based on Revelation chapter five, verses six through 12. His father was so impressed 
He brought it to him, with him to church that evening, and they sang it as part of the service. It was Isaac's first hymn, but not his last. Isaac Watts went on to compose more than 600 hymns and hundreds of poems before he died in 1748. Watts went on to write a little hymn you might know, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. But in 1719, he wrote the hymn that most of you enjoy every Christmas and has been sung in churches for the past 300 years, Joy to the World. And we sang it this morning. It was taken from Psalm 98. And there's something in this psalm that inspired Isaac Watts to write joy to the world. There's something about this psalm when you see it, the crescendo of the seas roaring and the thunder clapping and the hills singing. Let heaven and nature sing. You know, when we're little children, we find joy in the little things in life. I, we got a chance last night to take our children to the Yukon Lights in an RV with, with our family. Don't ask how that went, but it was fantastic. But they loved looking at the lights. It just finds so much joy in even the little things in life. But sometimes when we become older and weathered and tattered and torn from the brokenness of the world, can we still sing joy to the world? You see, you must know something about the time period in which Isaac Watts writes Joy to the World, the hymn. He was born into a world of uncertainty. The plague had hit London a few years before his birth. A fourth of the people had been wiped out in that city, and there was much poverty and uncertainty. There was also great pressure to conform in that day and age. The Anglican church was pressuring Christians to conform to their views on worship and their system. The time of persecution was great upon the church. Even Isaac Watts' father was thrown into jail and considered a non-conformist. I guess it was those New Age songs in worship that he was writing or producing. But in a time of uncertainty, in a time in which there was pressure to conform, in a time of persecution of Christians, Isaac Watts writes this hymn from Psalm 98, joy to the world, the Lord has come. Now, we're not really sure if it was intended to be the Christmas song that it was singing. But as you heard Jason Sutton um, pray this morning, we are looking not only to when the king has come, but also when he will come again. 
But let us, during this Christmas season, remember the reason for the season and allow the joy of the Lord to fill our hearts. Let's look at the passage together. Verse one, oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand, his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. This is our first point this morning is this. Joy to the world, the Lord saves. Amen. The Lord has brought about salvation. This joy must be proclaimed that the Lord saves. Three things Christ tells the church in Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2 on how to return to a love for God, a love for Christ. He tells them three things. He says, remember, repent, and return. Remember the great grace God has given through his salvation and work in our life. Repent of your works that are not glorifying to God and return to the love that you had at first. This is why the psalmist says, sing a new song to the Lord. You see, the freshness of God in our hearts brings about joy and it should be every morning. A new song is a reminder that our salvation, that we have not forgotten our salvation. We have not stopped remembering the grace of God, not only when he saved us and transferred us into the kingdom of light, but also how he is saving us now. This psalm is has a lot to do with the already not yet theme in which the Bible talks about our salvation. We have been justified and declared righteous by the grace of God and yet he is transforming us, he is saving us and one day we will be glorified with him in heaven. It's a new song. A new song and a reminder that our salvation is not something we forget. And the grace of God in our life overwhelms us constantly in an expression of joy, an expression of a new song as he works day by day, moment by moment in the life of his people. Revelation chapter 21, five, and we'll see in a minute at the end of the psalm, he's making all things new. Second part of the verse here, his right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The right hand of God 
the holy arm of God have worked salvation. It's the mighty work of God in salvation. It is not our work. It is the mighty work of God. The mighty hand of God. If we see in Psalm chapter 44, he describes this mighty hand. He says, by your, their own sword, they did not possess the land. Their own arm, they did not save them. But, but your right hand and your arm and the light of your presence, for you favored them. Psalm 18.35 says, you have also given me the shield of your salvation. And your right hand upholds me. And your gentleness makes me great. Isaiah 41.10 says, do not fear for I'm with you. Do not anxiously look about you for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. It is the hand of God, the righteous right hand and the arm of God is that is working salvation, that is holding us in our salvation and that will take us to finish or endure until we are in the presence of a holy and righteous God. It is God's work. The psalmist is describing this work of salvation as God's work, not our work. If you're right-handed, you know the difference in the strength of your right hand and your left. If you try to throw a baseball with your left hand, you'll know how weak your left hand really is. Is but the strength of God's hand, his action is at work. Salvation is the work of God and not the work of man. When my son was really young, he loved to play catch. Even when he was a, a baby, ever since he was almost one years old, he loved to throw the ball, he loved to, to catch the ball. And one time we were in a large gym and we were trying to throw the ball as far as he could. And he, and he watched me throw. And, he, and I threw the ball. And I threw it. And I said, watch this trip. And I threw it all the way to the end of the gym. And it hit the back wall. I, I guess I was just showing off for my son. I'm not sure what I was doing. That's not a part of the point. But he said to me, Dad, look at me. Watch me. I'm gonna do it too. And he took the ball, he's left-handed by the way, and he took the ball and he threw it as hard as he could. It went about five feet. Really, I don't know if he could barely talk at this time. It went about five feet. And I kind of looked at him with compassion and thought to him, he, he really thinks that he can throw the ball all the way across the room, across the gym. And at that moment, the Lord grabbed me. He said, this is, this is you, Rob. When you attempt to earn my love and my affection, you think that you can do enough for my salvation. My salvation is not based upon your works, but my grace and my work upon the cross. 
You see, when we read this psalm, we see God doing the marvelous works. It's his marvelous works that he makes known his salvation. It is revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. You see, the salvation of God is for God's glory. The nations and even Israel is seeing who this God is. God is revealing himself, even through the Old Testament, who this Christ would be that would come to bring salvation to all nations, not just Israel, as they will see the image of the invisible God as Christ comes to be born in a manger, to live a sinless life and to give his ransom for many. The steadfast love and the faithfulness of God. If you look at the Old Testament, what is it about? It's about man and their issues and their problems. Forgetting the promises of God. Going their own direction. Living in idolatry. And yet God's steadfast love and his faithfulness is still found in his creation enough to send Christ to be born in human flesh. God with us, Emmanuel. Let me ask you this this morning. Do you find joy in the salvation of our God. Not in your salvation. The salvation of our God. He says he's revealing his salvation through the great things he has done. Are your eyes open to see the marvelous things he has done? Or are you so focused upon the concrete in front of your path that you miss the beauty and the majesty of God himself? And as we'll see later in the psalm, even the hills are crying out for joy. Nature itself is proclaiming his salvation. It is proclaiming the goodness and the grace of God. Verse four, it says, make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with the trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. This is our second point this morning. Joy to the world, the Lord is King. Joy to the world, the Lord is king. Sometimes the body 
unites with the spirit or the soul of an individual and all they can do is make a joyful noise unto the Lord. You see, this decomposing tent of a body right here sometimes needs to feel the jolt of the spirit interacting with it. And it often is done in song. Have you, have, you ever, have you ever been in a dark spot in your life? Have you ever been in a dark place in which you, you can't get out of the mental space in which you're in? One of the ways that we see in scripture and one of the ways we see even in this psalm is to make a joyful noise before the Lord. Joy in singing. I think one of the reasons why everybody likes the Christmas season is because they always play Christmas music. Right? You guys like your Christmas music. But the reminder of the, the Lord himself in song that's why we sing every time we gather together as the church, because we are reminded of the goodness and the grace and the mercy of our God, the salvation of our God, who he is and what he has done, the great things he has done. But guess what? When we join the Lord, when we join the Spirit in worship and we proclaim it with our mouth, we also should join with the arts. Look at what it says in verse five. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre. Now you may, may be asking yourself, what is the lyre? It's different than the harp in that the strings pass over a bridge in which you transmit vibrations of the strings to the body of the instrument. What does that mean? Well, it means it's like a modern guitar. That's what a lyre is. Sometimes they would even use a pick. It's a modern guitar in which they use this artistry in their worship, in their song to the Lord. Let me, let me, let me say this, if you're if you're gifted by the spirit of the living God to sing and you suppress your singing, guess what? You're robbing your body of the joy of the Lord that fills your heart. If you play an instrument or you are talented in the arts and yet are not using those gifts for the glory of God, guess what? You're not feeling or witnessing the joy that comes from the worship of the king. With trumpets and sound of the horn, make a joyful noise before the king, the Lord. These trumpets, these horns were announcements that the king is coming. And the king who has come 
has given you, his church, a place at the table. First Peter 2, 9 says this, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into the marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Once you were outside of fellowship with the king, once you were not able to be with the king, and now you are welcome into his kingdom, and as a result, you joyously proclaim the goodness of the king, because he is the one that has granted you this salvation. He has granted you a right to sit at the table with him. And not just to sit at the table, but to reflect the goodness and the grace and the mercy of that king. And who is this king that you speak of? To make a joyful noise before the king. Who is this king? The Lord himself, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who is above every name. Ephesians chapter one, verse 21, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet, talking about Christ, and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. I want you to just listen to this and let it sink in this Christmas as you remind yourself of who the king is. Colossians chapter one, verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the first born from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. He is the creator of all things in which all things hold together. He is above every name and his kingdom shall never end. Daniel chapter seven says this, I saw in the night vision and behold with the clouds of heaven there came one like the son of man and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people's nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away in his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Why, do you, why, are you writing, why are you reading all the scripture, Rob? Because it tells us who the king is. 
that his kingdom will never fade away, that he is above all names, that he is God in heaven. He is worthy of worship. And at the depth of our heart, we understand the greatness, the grace, the steadfast love of the Lord and the king becomes the central focus of our worship. Therefore, we have joy in whatever circumstance that we face. Every person on this earth worships something. But what makes worshipers of God, worshipers of the king, the Lord Different. Psalm 27 says this, some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. The central focus of our faith is the Lord himself. What does it mean for Christ to be the centerpiece of our life, of our hope, of our faith. It means the joy of the Lord overflows into every area of life. Why? Because Christ is the central focus of our marriage. Christ is the central focus of our finances. Therefore, we can give with joy. We can love with joy. Christ is the central focus of our work. We can work and serve with joy. Christ is the central focus of our relationships. We can love our neighbor and our community and be a blessing to them because of joy that we have from Christ. This king who would come would be the king who would place on himself pauper's clothing He would be born in a manger. He would take on flesh and make his dwelling among men only to be a servant and not just any servant but a servant that would be willing to give his life as a ransom for many. This is good news. The king is coming and he's taking his people from the kingdom of darkness into his glorious light. Verse seven, this is probably my favorite section. Bear with me. Let the seas roar and all that fills it, the world and all and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. This is our third point this morning. Joy to the world. The Lord is the righteous judge. Joy to the world. The Lord is the righteous judge. 
the earth groans. All of creation groans for the righteous judge to come and place everything into its correct order. Think about creation. God places everything into order. And what happens as a result of the fall, everything becomes disordered. And God is making all things new. He's placing it back into order through the righteous judgment of God himself. Christ providing a way for his creation to be made righteous. But the judgment of evil, the judgment of the things that are broken. He will expose all false things. He will judge the evil in the world and he will make things right. And we await that as his church. We await the future glory in which Christ is is putting back into order. Romans 8, 18 says this, for I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemptions of our body. That's what the psalmist is saying here, the sea roars and all that fill in, even the creation in the oceans, the magnificent creatures that fill it, the world and all who dwell in it, the rivers, they clap their hands, the hills sing for joy together before the Lord for he comes to judge the earth. He's making all things new. Not only do God's people await for the righteous dust judge to place things in order but all of creation awaits this. This is where we see Joy to the world. Let heaven and nature sing. The nations, the peoples of the earth and the creation await for the judgment of the righteous king. Revelation 20, 11 gives us this picture of the judgment. 
It says this, then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which the book, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. The king knows that the creation is broken. And he's coming to make all things new and right as he created it in the beginning because it was good. And because of his righteousness and his holiness, he comes and those found in the book of life will be with the king in his kingdom forever. And those that are not found in the book of life are still in their sin and the wrath of God will be poured out upon them. You see, the righteous king brings joy for those that are in the kingdom of God. Because the longing for the goodness and the grace of God is in their hearts. The glory of God that they want to see forever and ever. The worship that you see in this psalm my prayer is for God's church to worship as a result of who God is. When we say joy to the world, the Lord has come. Do we understand the weight of that statement? Do we understand who God is and how great his salvation is for us? May we respond to our God with joy and thanksgiving because our names are found in the Lamb's book of life. As Kyle said this morning, sometimes the Christmas season can rob us of our joy. And yet, we find ourselves looking to the Psalms and seeing what is truly in the depths of our heart in understanding this God and his great salvation. And we respond not because of our circumstance or the brokenness in our world because we groan for glory. But we respond to God because of his marvelous things that he has done. 
So this morning as we respond to the goodness and the grace of God, may we respond with hearts bursting forth of joy and thanksgiving as we look to this great God who saves, the great King who comes and is coming, and the one who is the righteous judge. May your hearts be filled with joy this morning as we hear the word of God. Let us pray. Father, if there are people here this morning that don't know what it feels like to feel the joy of the Lord and salvation, we pray that they would get up from their seat and that they would move towards the back. They would talk to a pastor about finding joy, about finding your salvation that is granted to your people to be set free from their sins to be made new creations created to glorify God with their life Father we thank you for your word and your truth that uplifts our soul that gives us life Father, help us to be like little children seeing the gospel for the first time. Make it new every morning. Help us to proclaim new songs of joy in our homes, in our hearts, to the nations. Give us joy unspeakable because of what you have done, the good news. Father, that you have given through Christ. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray.